The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. And folks, today you're in for a real treat. Gene and Lynn Mealhow and their sons have been producing Tiny But Mighty Popcorn since the late 1990s. A third-generation family farmer and soil consultant by profession, Gene continues to consult with farmers regarding sustainable practices. He bought the popcorn business from Richard Kelty, whose family had farmed in Urbana, Iowa for several generations. In the 1980s, when, when his father and uncle left farming, Gene started to look at the whole picture involving groundwater and chemicals. He joined a soil consulting firm, which advised farmers about soil nutrients and seed selection. One of Gene's first customers in the early 1990s was Richard Kelty, who brought Mealhow in to reduce his waste and increase his yield. The popcorn stocks were falling down and producing only 600 pounds per acre, which was not commercially viable. One of the early challenges was getting their three-inch long ears to fill to the tip. Gene's first reaction when he encountered the tiny corn kernels was, what in the world is this stuff? He began consulting with experts all around the U.S. and discovered that that the K&K kernel is most likely a variety of flint corn. The Kelty and Kramer families either found it growing at Iowa when they settled here in the 1850s, or they traded it for local with for it with local Indians. It may have even originated in the western states. According to Richard Kelty, original owner of the company, his great-great-great-grandfather Samuel Kelty settled just northwest of what is now Cedar Rapids in the 1850s. 1850s. While no one in his family knows exactly where the seed came from, they believe it came from Indian neighbors. When Richard Kelty returned home from the Army in the mid-1970s, he found the last remaining seed in a fruit jar. He popped some and planted the rest, and a new business was born. The rest is history. Farmer Gene, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, and you basically told the story. <laughs> well, there we go. Good night, everybody. Hey, thanks for coming. It was, it was that's such a cool intro because it just really kind of paints the picture for how 
I don't know. We've had we've had a couple different farmers and ranchers and different businesses on the show before, Gene. But uh-huh. um, you're the real McCoy. We've had people that have kind of raised fruit and some other stuff. But you know, everybody that knows you, everybody that talks about you, just says Farmer Gene is salt of the earth. He's the real <laughs> deal. And and I just I, I was excited for this show for you have no no idea how long and it's just it's so cool you just it's just that you're the real deal so there you go. Well, I I uh, truly I, I am a third generation farmer and and I used to uh, uh, actually when I was farming with my dad my uncle my brothers I tell fa- people I ran the maternity ward because <laughs> I farrowed all the pigs and calved all the cows and I really. <laughs> Did not do much of the crop work. Right. Um, so, um, but when my dad and uncle and everybody got out of, and brother got out of agriculture, I wanted to stay in, and I purchased the 33 acres, and the only way that I could do, you know, farm and make some kind of a living is do something different. Right. And that's when I, I, I dabbled in herbs, and I dabbled in, in raising sweet corn and selling to local markets, and and uh, started to grow tofu beans, and okay. and then it kind of led me down the road to the company um, that I became a consultant for. And then through that, being a consultant, Richard was one of my first customers, and when I saw this popcorn, I thought, this guy has really got something here. And uh, when I finally asked him if I could buy the business from him after working with him for five years, because um, he was in his 80s and he wanted to retire I finally asked him if he'd sell the business to me, and he said, I wondered how long it was going to take you. Nice. So, what did you see my, at my that My true point? passion was I wanted to be a rock and roll star. <laughs> um, I toured um, over the Midwest, and my biggest claim to fame is way back when, before REO Speedwagon was famous, yeah. our band opened for him. No way. So, yeah, so... And then Donna Fargo was the other big act our band opened for. I don't know if you remember Donna Fargo. No, I remember REO Speed. In fact, I've got REO Speedwagon on my iTunes. That's um, so I'm totally in that in that world. And and I, you know that's too funny because um, I even to this day my kids will listen when we're in their car and and I'll whether it's REO Speedwagon or some of those other bands of that era. Um, um, it was a Jefferson Airplane and and oh uh, yeah. I mean, and uh, I just Fog Hat was another one. Grand Funk yeah. Railroad, man! I'll tell you, Gene, those were the best. Uh, and you know, they're still playing on the radio today, and they're still touring some of those groups. So that kind of music has definitely stayed in there. But then I became a corn breeder. So from rock and roll star to corn breeder <laughs> and popcorn person, you just never know where your life's going to lead you. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Now, now take me back a little bit. So, you, you, when you were consulting with uh, with Richard Kelty, you, you know, at that time, because the bio mentioned that you know he had a really failing crop, if you will, or it wasn't commercially viable. Um, but you said you saw when you saw this corn, you said he's really onto something. Was what was it that you know made it so different? Well, number one, it's what they call an open pollinated corn. Okay. So it's not a hybrid. It has not been hybridized. So it's the same it has been for, we believe, over 100 years. Um, and with, with open-pollinated corns, you can actually take the seed from that and plant it and regenerate itself. Where with hybrid corns who have a 
two parents, a female and a male, if you plant the offspring from that, it'll refer, it'll go back to the F1 parent. So you might plant seed from a hybrid, and it may not even produce an ear. But with with open pollinated corns, um, you can regenerate the seed. So that was the first thing that excited me about it. The next thing was he popped some popcorn for me, and I ate it, and the taste was completely different. And the whole no holes in your teeth factor of it. The other thing that was amazing, um, it grows multiple stalks in multiple ears. So the first year I worked with Richard, um, we had a plant on the end of the field, and there's a picture on our website. The, that one plant had 36 ears. That is, you know what, I, it, now that I'm, I'm thinking back to my days, ironically, to digress a second, when I used to pick corn at the local market in my, my high school days, it, it, and that was the one thing that I looked at your, on the website and I saw that picture, it was like, this is crazy. It's completely different um, than those. I, what did a normal, what does normal, like traditional corn have one, maybe two ears on there, Gene? Is that, yeah, I can't absolutely. remember. Actually, corn has the potential, any corn plant has a potential of producing an ear at each leaf. Okay. So everywhere there's a leaf, there's a potential for an ear. But they bred the corn down to only produce one ear. I mean, way back when, oh golly, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s, they had what they called flex variety corn, and it would grow two, three years on one stalk. Wow. But they've bred the corn down and down and down right. to only produce one ear because the seed companies want to sell seed. And a lot of these farmers out here are planting thirty-five to 40,000 kernels per acre. And uh, if you could plant half as much seed and get the same yield, yeah. that would cut the seed sales in half. So that's basically, I think it's been kind of a concept um, to sell more seed because these traits have been in corn for a long time that, that it should produce multiple ears. And the one thing that is, is so interesting, and you kind of touched on it, and I know we'll get into more of it down the road in, in today's show, but the taste between your corn, and I know a lot of people say, oh, ours always tastes better, whatever it is, but traditional popcorn that we pop, um, and I don't care what what oil you use or whatever it is. It's it's kind of like it, it doesn't have much flavor. It's almost like air, if you will. It's there's not, but with tiny but mighty, and it, you've got this rich, um, a, a, a vibrant flavor, for lack of a better word, that just is unlike anything I've ever tasted. It's just night and day. And and I remember when Tammy, um, of course, kind of introduced me to you and your popcorn and sent me some samples. I was like, oh, come on. Everyone says, but it's true. It's just <laughs> night and day compared to other popcorn. And, and even like you showed on your website, um, and we'll give everybody the, the web address later, but the, the, the big guys that, that kind of breed this stuff or whatever it is that, that have these big, huge kernels, and you've got these tiny little kernels, and you have, I don't know, 10 times the flavor as these other ones, and it's just, it's just night and day. Well, the, the big kernels all came out of Orville Redenbacher. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and Orville Redenbacher was actually a corn breeder at uh, Purdue University. And Purdue University is basically right now the center of research for popcorn. And that's because of Orville. And Orville had this concept of breeding popcorn to be bigger. 
and he set out on that. And then, as you know, with the marketing and the concepts yep. and all the things that were going on. Oh, there's my grandson on the phone. Hi, grandson. How are you? <laughs> who, who, who are we talking to, Gene? Oh, I think he hung up. <laughs> oh, okay. Nope. No, he didn't. He's got things he's got to say. Yeah, hang on one second. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. We can get him, oh, we can get him on the phone and, and have him just kind of tell us about farming as well, because I know he's he's coming up. He's up and coming. Well, I'll tell you what. He does love to drive equipment. He's four years old, and he can drive a skid loader, and he can drive wow. a tractor. And, and so he's totally into farming. He'll be the next generation of yep. family farm. There you go. But Orville um, was the one that started that whole concept. And the smaller kernels actually have more flavor because the flavor actually comes from the kernel of the corn, not yeah. the starch. Right. The white part of popcorn is the starch, and, it, and really it has no flavor. And that's why, like at movie theaters or when you buy all the different kinds of popcorns, they're all coated with something. Sure. And they usually coat them completely. You know, they're completely engulfed in caramel. Oh, yeah. or So the popcorn actually becomes a carrier. It, there is right, a nutritional right. value to it, but the actual smaller kernels, uh, like ours, when it pops, the outer hull is real thin, but that inner pericarp is there, and, and that's where the flavor comes from. And it's and it's amazing. And, and again, I really recommend anybody to grab a bag or several bags and either pop it yourself. And I know that we'll talk a little bit down the road in today's show about you guys now have some uh, pre-popped bags um, of yep. flavored popcorn, which is which is up and coming and, and definitely coming on strong. But let's go back, Farmer Gene, to the to the early days. You had mentioned your family were farmers. Um, what crops did you raise back in those days? Um, we were a pretty diverse um, family farm. We had my uncle, my dad, my brother, and I were involved. Um, we ran 190 cows, and wow. we we uh, farrowed about 2,000 head of feeder pigs a year. And so we grew soybeans and corn, uh, oats, alfalfa, and you know rotated the crops because. We had to have the hay for the cattle, and we sure. utilized the manure. It, it was more of the way agriculture, even today, should be, where where the farm is, is a diverse ecosystem, and yep. the manures are recycled, the crops yep. are rotated. You're growing hay, you're growing small grains, um, but but today, when the industrialized model of agriculture's got all the cattle, you know, in feedlots and all the hogs are raised in confinement. Oh yeah, it's totally now, different. Now today, those there's very few of those diverse um, ecosystem farms, um, except for a lot of the organic farms. Which and I do believe the pendulum is swinging back because of water quality Let's and Let's hope. Yeah. And trying to get rid of all this manure out of these confinements, you you've, they're regulating that how much you can put on. You can't put on too much because it's running off into the streams and yep. And but see, when you had a five like we had eight hundred acres, and we would rotate those crops, and the manure would get spread all over the farm, and so we're recycling all those nutrients. Um, your weed control was through the small grains and the alfalfa, 
and you really didn't, we didn't have that dependence on the chemical production. But when you're monocropping corn on corn on corn on corn or corn and soybeans, corn and soybeans, corn and soybeans, it, you, you lose that diversity in the ecosystem in the soil and, and now you're more reliant on outside inputs as fertilizers and herbicides for weed control. Hmm. So that's the way we farmed back then. And, and I think that's kind of why when I got into agriculture, I was looking at the organic, you know, way of doing it or more of a sustainable way of doing it um, because it was the way I was raised and I saw how that worked. So, um, um, you know, uh, you, you look around the world now with all the celiac disease and the I know. allergies and it makes you wonder sometimes. No kidding. You know, is this industrialized model of agriculture the right way to go or, you know, have we lost something? Well, I, I totally, and I know that's a different show, but I'm with you on that one because I think um, just, you know, even reading between the lines with basically what you were saying is I think we've kind of uh, engineered ourselves into a real bind here where you've got these crazy diseases that are popping up. And back in the old days where, you know, they were, um, the farms were really kind of recycling all this stuff and, and, and doing it in such a way, it was a whole different ball game, And it was, um, you know, again, at the end of the day, the yield was better and you had, um, you know, more robust crops and stuff like that. But nowadays, everything is just stripped to the bare bones. Well, and I just, you know, all these disease, plant diseases that are out there now for these crops. Right. You know, we, I remember back when I was a kid, we, we didn't spray anything, and we had right. phenomenal crops. I mean, <laughs> and now well, you've I, got sudden it, death syndrome and soybeans. They don't even know why the bees I are know. dying. But you know, but like you said, that's probably another show. But I could go on and on. But well, and that was the reason I became a consultant. Right was because you know uh, once I learned some of these these concepts in sustainable agriculture and working with um, Midwestern Bioag. Um, I, I worked with them for about two, three years, and that's when I said, you know what, other farmers need to know this. So I actually yep. went to the company and said, hey, could I become a consultant, and I'll go out and I'll try to spread this education to farmers. And uh, so I got all the training, and I went out, and I, <laughs> I started telling the story, and I got thrown off quite a few farms. But... <laughs> <laughs> I finally learned, talk to the people who will listen. Don't try to convince someone. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's the, that's the, the selling 101. Get with people that you can really kind of, that, that will listen to you at least, and at least list, listen to what you've, the story that you're telling and the, the information that you've got, I should say. Yeah, and, and I found a lot of them. I ended up with, I had nearly 100 uh, clients in five states, and I was working with everything from, Vegetables to apples to dairy farms to um, organic farms um, and all different kinds of, of different uh, um, uh, farmers and, and um, diverse operations. So sure. There he is back again. There he is I'm- again. He's got things he's got to tell us. Hi, buddy. That's our commercial break for the day. How about that? <laughs> well, he we've, we've had the kids here. I just got my... Third grandchild. Nice. And, and so she, he just got home, and so we've been kind of watching the other two yep. while 
That's Mom that's how we do things too over here. To We're with you. Child. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, we've got. Um, we'll, we'll take a break here in a couple of minutes, but I wanted to kind of reach out uh, on this kind of subject. When you decided to kind of, you know, um, buy Richard's um, property and, and business, was he selling unpop kernels or anything like that at that point, or was he was he doing something different? You were just buying his land, if you will. Well, um, when I met up with Richard, the popcorn was only producing about four hundred pounds per acre. Right, and and he had expanded his business from it started with just growing up twelve rows in the garden and wow. sharing it with his kids, and well, and then his kids would have card club and they pop the popcorn, and the neighbors would say, "Well, could I get some of that from from your dad?" Well, then he he had to grow more, and then he he got it in a couple truck stops in Urbana, and he was selling it there, and then. He went to um, the fairway stores here in Iowa. Sure. And he convinced the gentleman there to put it in all the fairway stores. So I was, he was needing more popcorn, and that's why he hired me on because I get it, it wasn't yielding very well. Yep. Yep. So the first year, um, we went from 400 pounds the acre to 1,000 pounds the acre. And that convinced him that. I kind of had a little bit of knowledge on how to do this. And we actually cut his nitrogen in half. We I'm found kidding. out that he was putting on too much nitrogen, and part of the problem with that was the ears, like you said earlier, weren't filling out to the tip. The stalks were falling over, and some of the plants were going all to stock and not even producing an ear. Jeez, oh, man, it's crazy. So that was one of the first things I noticed. But, but, um, but then over the years, as time went by, that's when I worked with him for about five years, and he was in his 80s at that point. And uh, I went in to take his fertilizer order one February, and he said, I'm going to grow one more crop. And then when I sell that out, I'm selling the business. No kidding. And I was devastated because I oh. was having so much fun working with this corn. Right. So for, for a year, <laughs> I tried to find somebody to buy the business. So that I could keep continue doing the yep. consulting. <laughs> well, that's what I want to focus on a little bit more too. Is is um, um, how tough was it for you to kind of you know again going from consultant at that particular point to all of a sudden business owner? I mean, that's a pretty big move for a for a kid from Iowa, no? Yeah, um, my wife was a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world, Gene. <laughs> but uh, I think she saw the potential, too. And, and I mean, Richard saw the potential there, and he, he was getting to the age where, well, you, you know what it takes to, to oh, yeah. move to the next level in anything. It takes capital. It takes yep. advertising. It takes marketing. Yep. And it takes a, a, a team of people, not just one or two people. And right. Richard, he wanted to go fishing. <laughs> yep, good for him. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of... So then along the way, I learned all the other stuff that, you know, I thought, oh, this will be easy. I'll make a ton of money and yep. we'll all be happy and and this thing will and go, you'll go crazy fishing. and it'll be easy to sell. Right. <laughs> Not true, <laughs> <laughs> and I can totally relate to that. It's it's never it's never what we always thought it was. 
However, it's that labor of love that we all get in, get into. And I know you have it and I have it where we kind of just like, goodness gracious, it just becomes this, this passion that we've got to kind of tell everybody and work with as many people as we can and try to, um, you know, help them in whatever way it is, whether it's the, you know, producing great tasting popcorn and, uh, and you definitely have that passion as well. Well, the thing was for me was, um, you know, just like we talked earlier about the industrial model of agriculture. I, with my 33 acres, I thought the only way that I'm going to make a living is I'm going to have to grow something and sell right. it directly to the market. Right. That way I can actually set a price on it, and I don't have all the people in the middle. Yep. And, you know, farmers are amazing people because they're the only people in the world that go through the whole process of raising a crop, and then they call up the local elevator and say, "What are you gonna, what are you gonna buy it from me for?" Exactly, today? correct. And I, I've always used to tell the farmers I work with, "Wouldn't you like to buy a new truck that way?" <laughs> <laughs> well, let's 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 stay with that for a second because we got to take a quick break. But I want to make sure we pick up right where we left off. If that's okay with you, Gene. Uh, we're talking with farmer Gene Mealhow from Tiny But Mighty. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You've got a great product, and it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers, and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes, because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net or call us at 866-440-2123. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. 
Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ditch the Box, where, once again, we're talking with Farmer Gene Mealhow with Tiny But Mighty. Gene, we were just kind of wrapping up our, our little talk about, um, you know, as you decided to kind of jump into being a business owner from a consultant, if you will. And I know that um, from my own personal experience, having your um, trusted partner, a.k.a. your wife, like I did, same thing, it's so important for us to kind of be able to Everybody is nervous. Everyone kind of thinks, are you crazy? What do you mean? You're doing okay just right now as a consultant or, you know, soil consultant or, or whatever it may be. But, um, but those early days are just really and truly what, what kind of makes or breaks us. Would you, would you kind of agree? That's when you really have to kind of put the rubber to the road and say, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep doing this. Well, when I, when I took over the popcorn business, I actually had about three jobs. Um, I um, I was actually in a band, and we were playing <laughs> anywhere from three to four nights a week. Yep. And my wife and my uh, father and father-in-law were doing a lot of the packaging, and I would do the cleaning and manufacturing. And then I was also working at a sawmill, um, wow. running the head rig, sawing uh, sawing lumber, and late nights and early mornings and trying to run the business and and you know if anybody's going to go into something it's real difficult to jump all the way in and put all yep. your eggs in one basket yep and then you know try to make the business run because it puts a lot of pressure on you the business yep. your family so what you need to do is have kind of a backup that you you're not totally relying on the income of the business Right, and that way you can grow the business, and and then slowly as the business makes more money, I you know I dropped the job, I left the sawmill, and then slowly Smart. as the business grew some more, um, I dropped the band thing, and it yep. became a full time thing, and then we ended up hiring some people to work, so that I could go out and do promotions and advertising and. Um, I've stood in just about, well, I've stood in every single Whole Foods in Chicago, and I've stood in every Hy-Vee store in Kansas City, and every Hy-Vee store in Des Moines, and every Hy-Vee store in Quad Cities, in (laughs) demoing the product. Because the only way that I saw in the early days, the cheapest way for me to advertise, was to go and get it in people's mouth and tell the story. Yep. That, that way they met the person who was growing it. They tasted the popcorn, and, and it was actually different. Like you said earlier, you can tell people, oh, this is different. And, yeah, I've heard that a million times. Yeah, right. But until you get it in their mouth. Yep. And then we build through that. We actually have built relationships 
which I think is key in any company, um, is is building a a direct relationship with your customer, um, so that, that they actually feel like you know they are actually doing something positive by buying your product because they're supporting a concept and a, a way of life and a sustainable form of agriculture. So right. they're not just buying the product and enjoying it, but they really believe they're investing in, in a company that's trying to make a change. And, um, you know, that was kind of the way we started out to build the company. It's a slow boat to China, but I'll tell you what, you build those relationships and you don't lose customers. And then well, yeah. they become your biggest asset because they're out there telling people about your product. Well, and, and it's interesting you kind of went there because one of the questions I was going to bring up um, really kind of pointed to the fact that everything about, and, and I wasn't just blowing smoke, everything that I've learned from dealing with you and and knowing you indirectly, now directly, um, is that you've got this sense of integrity. You are that face of the organization. And when you go to the tiny by, my, tinybutmighty.com, and you see the videos, and you see um, the the diagrams of what you know. It, it's it, you live and breathe this stuff, and the fact that you are willing to, like you said, stand at every Whole Foods store in Chicago and every Hy-Vee store and do whatever it is to demo. It kind of eventually people realize that you know this isn't some clerk that's out here making five dollars an hour trying to you know hurry up and get gas money. This is that that farmer that's actually living uh, and walking the talk, and, and and that's what you see with Tiny But Mighty, and that's what you get with Farmer Gene, folks. Is that this is this is the real McCoy. This is how it this is how it works. And and frankly, the long term success because we have a lot of a lot of listeners that that may be small businesses trying to get over that hump, like we've all been. Um, but it's so important to maintain that integrity. So important to um, have something that we really feel in our gut that is so critical and so important. And and you you had your you have your story to tell and. And you're doing something that's supporting, you know, farmers and supporting you. And it's much bigger than just farmer gene. We're talking about this this kind of whole movement like we talked before earlier. And it's just it's just a great story, Gene. And I'm just really, really happy for your success. Well, thank you. And I think the other thing that kind of makes our company unique, um, uh, we have to – I have to have contract growers to grow it because right. – I grew it all in one place in 08, and that was when the floods hit. Yep. And the crop never really got flooded, but it just got so much rain it didn't grow. Right. So I was actually out of popcorn for 14 months. Ugh. And <laughs> fortunately, I had a very good friend who was at the hy V stores, and he hired me on on night stock. <laughs> and I thought, I'll this would done. be a really good opportunity. To see how the grocery stores work. Yep. And I found out that night stock people are lowest on the totem pole. <laughs> of course. And But I found out, you know, how stuff moved and, and how, you know, the, the systems work when they order and, and keeping back stock and how they don't want to hold a lot of inventory and they want right. the product to move and you've got to support the product. And... Um, when I finally got back into 
the popcorn business, that, that was a whole year of college education for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because it gave me the idea of what is behind, you know, the ground roots of grocery stores and how they work and, and, and what they're looking for and what their margins are and how many turnovers you have to have and, and all that. But the other thing that was interesting, we had people calling us constantly and staying in touch with us through email and through our website. When we finally got the crop up and going, we started packaging we released on the Internet that Tiny But Mighty Popcorn is available now. Nice. And I told my web guy, I said, okay, go ahead, release it, that it's available. So he released it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and at 7 o'clock he called me, and he said, have you looked at your emails? And I said, no. He said, I think you're in trouble. I went and clicked <laughs> on the emails, and they, there was 150 of them. Oh. And... And right there again goes back to the point of having that relationship with yep. your customer. Yep. These people love the popcorn. They love when they found out I was out. People would call me and beg me and beg me, and I said, "I've only got enough for seed. I can't sell any." Yeah. Right. Right. And I said, "But stay tuned. Watch the website. We'll we'll be back. We'll be back." And then all the stores once um, um, I contacted them and said, I've got popcorn. They all ordered it back immediately because they continually had people coming in asking where the popcorn was. So it didn't take us long to get up and running again after, after 08. Sure. But that was just one of the pitfalls I ran into. But the farmers who are involved that do grow for us and all the people that work for us all share a piece of the company. Nice. So when we, when we actually offered stock in the company... We went to those people first, and, and then everybody that works for us has the opportunity to work and gain stock in the company. That's fantastic. So that way, <clears throat> that, once again, that relationship, they own a little piece of the company. Absolutely. And people who own a little bit of something and have the opportunity to own more, you know, it, it's an incentive for them. And then they get as excited as we do when the company grows because they're part of it. Well, yeah, they've got skin in the game, and it's just that's such a, a brilliant strategy because you really do have people that are vested, you know, frankly, owners of that business. Oh, yeah, and the growers all, you know, they, believe me, they get a nice premium for growing the popcorn. And then yeah, they also well, that's, nice and that's the one thing the that I, I find interesting, too, is, is that, you know, the, the contract growers now – are they all kind of around you in, in that Iowa area, or are you bringing that in all over the country? Well, we, most of them are within a 75-mile radius of, of our farm. Got it. Which, that's far enough for weather concerns, but it's also economical enough for transportation to get it to the farm and, yep. and that kind of stuff. And then during the summer, I monitor all the fields and, and then I'm there when they plant, and I'm there when they harvest to make sure that everything is being done properly. Because, you know, training a farmer that just grows corn and soybeans when you're, you know, I have to explain to them, and we handpick our farmers through a process. We don't just hire any farmer. Right. That's what I was going to get to. Yeah. Because, you know, this is food grade. Yeah. This, this, is, this is coming out of the field. It's going through our plant, and it's going to people's table yeah 
And it, you, it's a whole different process. Yes, you have to clean your combine. Yes, the semi has to be clean. Yes, your wagons have to be clean. And, you know, there's, there's a whole process involved in, in harvesting and managing that crop to, to ensure the integrity of it. And, uh, you know, uh, my name goes on it. So yeah. I have to make sure that, that these guys are trained. And the first couple of years, um, they do it. They're a little nervous, but once they learn how to do it, they're they're all just great guys, and they do a heck of a good job. And you had mentioned, and I was um, even on your website that you know the tiny but mighty popcorn is difficult to raise and process. And I know you mentioned a little bit about you know cleaning and some of those extra steps that you got to do because it because it it, it, it it is food grade. What other kind of things make it so difficult to raise and and process? Well, once again, it, it, it's an open-pollinated corn. So yeah. it's not like these hybrid corns that have been all of the, the vigor and all that has been, you know, sometimes they even genetically alter it to get right. the traits in there that they need. Where with me, I actually do all the seed selection and breeding. So I have to walk the fields and select the specific plants based on an eight type of criteria. Um, you know, disease is one, vigor is one, multiple ears, color of the cob, shape of the kernel, um, and shape of the plant and the leaves, standability, you know, how well it stands. So every year we're, I'm continually choosing and breeding the corn to make it better and better. Like when I said when Richard was at 400 pounds, we got him up to 1,000 and then when he sold me the company, he said, you'll never get this to 2,000 pounds. <laughs> well, last, this last year, we averaged about 2,800 pounds, and we wow. had several farmers that were in the 3,000-plus range. No kidding. That's crazy. So, and that's all through seed selection and yep. breeding that I do here on my farm. So that's one difficult thing. Now harvesting is the next thing because the years are so small, you yep. can't use a regular corn head. Right. So um, what the guys have done, and these guys did this on their own, once again, having a stake in the company, they wanted to get as many, as much out of the field as they yeah, could. Yeah, of course. Right. We figured out that using a bean row head was a much better way to um, um, eliminate the field loss. I'll be darned. So a, lo- a lot of the farmers that grow for me use bean row heads. Man. And that... And that has cleaned the product up tremendously because when it comes to me, it doesn't have all the sticks and all the junk and stuff in it, so it's easier to clean. Right. And um, they don't have near the field loss. Then the next phase is cleaning the corn and storing it. We have special equipment, and we have color sorters and grain polishers and cleaners. And, and, uh, and then in the bins, there are specially designed bins that... Um, through my research, I designed for drying because we can only use air. You can't use heat because if you heat the corn too hot, you'll actually crack the pericarp, and then the kernel right. won't build up pressure and pop. So monitoring the bends and making sure that the corn, you know, doesn't get out of condition um, is the <laughs> next thing. And and then once you've do, done all that, the packaging part's easy. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's just amazing, and I, it's a good segue because I really wanted to kind of touch base as we kind of you know head towards the the backside of, of our interview, but about marketing. You know, our show here is a, a little bit about marketing, a little about dealing. We talked a little bit about retailers, the high V and the Whole Foods and stuff. But you know, I don't know if anyone or folks go to tinybutmighty.com and you'll see Farmer Gene all over the website. Farmer Gene, have you always been this comfortable on? camera and photographs and you're just you're just a comfortable guy on camera well i had to be comfortable all those years playing in the band i was in front of people all the time. <laughs> that's true that's true that's right i wasn't a very good singer though even though they made me sing a couple songs <laughs> but you know, was, uh, in school i was always in the plays and you know i i was somewhat of a performer you might say when i was a kid yeah. And um, and then, you know, as a consultant, when you go out and you meet a person for the first time and you try to explain what you're doing and, and you know, you, you learn a lot um, being a salesperson. Uh, right. Um, and then, you know, I, I've got to credit um, my partner, Kevin, as far as yep. the package design and those kinds of things because when, when we got the investors and and started to launch the product nationally, you know, that was one of the things that we kept hearing from focus groups and people, you know, your package needs to be different. And it kind of needed to be, you know, updated. And and then the other thing we learned that, that you need to highlight on, the, you know, your strong points, like we're a small family operation, it's an heirloom corn, um, and the story of where the corn came from and and where it it it's you know it's going um, dating back to the early 1800s. That's right. Um, you know we put that on the package because you know your package is your best billboard. Yep. And you know um, that's why we put the story on there because that goes into every home and people can turn that package around and read the story. Yep. And then they can tell the story to someone else. And that word of mouth, it's a slow process, but it, it you know, when people tell people and tell people and tell people, it sticks a lot more than oh, a 15 absolutely. second spot on the TV. Well, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I've used this, this radio show platform from time to time to try to, it, I try to stay away from, you know, I don't want to come across as a commercial, but one of the things you just mentioned it is the packaging is so important. We've got Farmer Gene, we've got people that come to us that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars perfecting, I don't care whether it's a soup mix or a rice pilaf or, you know, a, a, a really um, high-end, um, you know, whatever it may be. And they'll come to us and they'll think at the very last second about packaging. Well, I don't care what it looks like. Wait a minute. Your packaging is your salesperson. You can't afford to stand at every Whole Foods of everyone simultaneously um, and talk about your, you know, that's where you have your billboard. That's where you have to tell your story and share the, um, uh, the, the, the background, the history of the product. And, and people don't see that. And, and I just, I shake my head. It's, it's, and then, of course, when you try to explain that to them, they'll think we're trying to sell them something. It's like, we're not trying to sell you anything. It's like, you've already come this far. You've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
why would you not use the best packaging that you can that's going to accentuate your product? And, and again, the other part of that too, Gene, is that studies have shown that people buy with their eyes. And when they see an attractive package, just like when they see an attractive flower or whatever it is, that's, that gets their attention. And if you package something in a substandard box, if you will, that looks just like a brown box, well, that's the reaction you're going to get. But if you have the vibrant colors and the nice clear window that shows your popcorn and shows your product and that big placard on the back, if you will, that tells your story, that too um, is quite effective. And it's just mind-blowing to me how, how few companies actually really understand that. Well, and there's so many other things involved in that too because the size of your package, how is right. it going to fit on the shelf? Yep. You know, where is it going on the shelf? Because is it convenient is for, the, for somebody? And it can't yep. fit in the slot on the shelf. Yep. You might get put in a really bad place. Right. <laughs> in the store. And that's part of what I learned when I was, was stocking shelves. I got to look at a lot of different packages and a lot of different stuff. Yep. And um, size, shape. Um, that's why we went to the stand-up pouch, because our popcorn bag was laying on its back on the bottom shelf. And all you saw was the bottom end of it. Like most popcorns, by the way, too, Gene. Um, and, and what you guys really stood out and s- stood up, if you will, um, but you really kind of stand out um, from others. Because even to this day, I was just at the store yesterday, and there's a big bag of popcorn that was laying on its back. All you saw was the bottom of a bag. And it's just a wasted opportunity. Yeah, it, you know, and, and that's why it's so difficult. And then the other thing um, is developing your logo. Right. And the color scheme. Yeah. And what you're going to say. And I got to tell you one story. When we did our, our ready to eat, and you go through all of that, it was oh, yeah. about a, at least a two month practice, a two month process. And we, proofread everything and then we went through the boxes and we checked everything and checked everything so we got our first shipment and I set the box down and I looked at it and it was supposed to say find out why our popcorn is blah 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 right and it said find out our why Uh. we missed it (laughs) (laughs) uh, hey you live and learn right Lip so we arm. had a lot of bags at first and a lot of boxes that had a misprint on them. No one ever said anything about it, but um, I was wondering if anybody called and say, hey, you know what? You got this wrong. Yeah. Um, but those things are so important. And if you're going to do anything with packaging, talk to somebody. Um, we, we used an advertising agency in Chicago that helped us with our designs and all that. And, and then, you know, we talked to other people and other companies and, you know, the, go to the shelf and, and yep. look at the other packages and where they're located and the shape and the size. And because it take your time and, and do it right the first time, because once you get it, you've got to live with it. Yep. You can't go changing and changing and changing when you're trying to brand something. Uh, unless you're Coca-Cola, who comes out with a different can every three, four weeks. Yeah, and, and that's part season. of it. They've got big pockets to do that. But guys <laughs> exactly. like you and me don't have that ability to do that. Exactly. So, yeah, it's packaging is 
and your your logo and your design and the wording and how to say it and the, you know the it is it, just so important. Um, take take the time and try to do it right, and then ask people about it, right. and you'll get a million different oh, yeah. <laughs> inputs. Oh, yeah. But it gives you an idea of what people think, and you know um, you can take the good with the bad and the bad with the good, and and uh, you know, and you may find something that someone says that's a good idea. So yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very important. And consistency, I think you mentioned that too. A lot of times we, we, to digress a second, we have a lot of clients that come to us and, um, and they think that, you know, this custom made packaging, um, is just, you just click your fingers and it's, it's printed out in a garage somewhere. There is a design. There is the right material selection. You've got to totally, you can't, like you said, you've got to take your time because certain materials work best, certain products work best with certain materials. And um, especially like in your case where you want to be able to see the popcorn, you want to have that clear window, and you want it to be able to protect the, the product from moisture or vapor or odor, whatever whatever else may be. And you want it to stand erect and be very, very stable on a store shelf. You know, those are the kind of things that are just so paramount but people you know just assume that oh everything's the same it's not the same take your time no well and you know do you want three mil do you want five mil do you want two mil thick of plastic what (laughs) you know there's so many different things involved in it well as as we get close to kind of wrapping up today's show let's kind of touch base what's new and exciting you talked about the already pop popcorn let's share a little bit more what else is new and exciting with tiny but mighty that we can help promote and let our listeners know about well i think the newest and probably most innovative thing we're doing because the corn's open pollinated what i've been able to do is sort out some new varieties um and I've got some corn that's um, actually a little bit bigger and a little bit different. And we're looking at getting into the milling business and making corn flowers for tortillas. Oh, good. Yeah. And because the corn's dense sterile, we don't run the risk of the GMO problem. Yep, yep. So um, that is a huge factor right now, especially with Whole Foods and these natural food stores. Yep. And and then we're gluten-free and, and all of that. But I think um, we just got our first first test run this year. Um, we grew a small plot, and we're going to mill it, and we're going to do some testing on that and see, you know, it'll be a couple years. <laughs> but um, And the other thing is I think we're going to come up with some new microwave flavors. Oh, good. That's right. And I, by the way, I just ordered it. So you'll see an order through. I just ordered some because I saw the new flavors that you had. And I, uh, I just went through and ordered a bunch of stuff as well. I, I just love the popcorn. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, we've got 30 seconds left. So let's, let's do this. I'd like to ask all our clients or all our guests, I should say, at the very end of the show, where do you see Tiny But Mighty in the next three to five years? Well, I think, you know, we really haven't even tapped the market. I mean, the market is is actually a billion-pound yep. business. And we actually had sales, I think, a million and a half pounds this year. So wow. we really haven't even, I mean, people are still finding out about it. So yep. our yep. goal in the next three years is to continue to, to uh, get the product out to people and... 
you know, get more PPEs. We call them PPEs. They're professional popcorn eaters. There you go. I love Addicted it. Addicted to our popcorn. Yep, I'm one of them. There you go. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's the goal. And then we'll develop these new varieties, and then we'll come up with some new uh, microwaves, and we'll just keep pushing forward and and hope that, People find out about us and enjoy the popcorn as much as we do. Uh, Gene, I am so, A, I'm so grateful that you joined us. Um, this was a treat for me. I really enjoyed this. I was really excited, and I'm glad that, that Tammy kind of suggested it, and you agreed to come on. Ashley was cur- um, courteous enough to kind of put us together. And, boy, I'll tell you, Farmer Gene, this has been a real thrill for me. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, we enjoy your package. <laughs> Thank you very much, my friend. Hey, folks, until next time, um, tinybutmighty.com to check out more information about Tiny But Mighty. And I'd like to thank our producer, Jamie Berling, our executive producer, Winston Price, and all the good folks like you for listening. Until next time, remember, it's your product. Package it properly. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week.